You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at NolaJake on Twitter. Here with you all on this Thursday, we are finally back from the Mardi Gras hiatus. The podcast almost needs to go on during that time, and we've got a lot to talk about, and we're going to talk about some of it today, we're going to talk about some of it tomorrow, and then we've got a lot to talk about next week, too, because going into last night's game against the Utah Jazz, Pelicans went 3 and oh on the road beating the jazz once beating the nuggets once and then of course beating the suns which we talked about and they should have done but what went into that three game winning streak which did come to an end last night so first we're going to recap the loss to the jazz at home in the smoothie king center on wednesday night then i want to take a look at what went into that three game winning streak and how the team played so well and managed to come back from almost 20 points down in back-to-back games essentially so we'll look at what was stellar there from the team then we're just going to catch up on a number of things around the league I know a lot of people kind of go into like a tunnel during Mardi Gras and you don't know what's going on around the world let alone what's going on in the NBA here there's some funny stories there's some interesting stories some that relate to the Pelicans some that don't I want to catch you guys up on everything you may have missed so let's jump right on into it in today's edition of Locked on Pelicans So quick programming note, we're back from kind of the Mardi Gras hiatus, if you remember that. The week before, I also had no voice from being sick, but we're going to get back to the regularly scheduled five days a week podcast because this team is really intriguing and kind of a lot of fun to watch right now, despite all the drama and awkwardness surrounding Anthony Davis and all of that. So we're going to keep powering forward just like this Pelicans team is. So they played last night, did lose by 10 points, a 114-104 loss to the the Utah Jazz, a bit of a, a reversal in this game from their previous one where the Pelicans came down from, I think it was 18 points and managed to storm back, get the win on the road in Utah. Weren't able to kind of recreate that magic here in the Smoothie King Center last night. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And the first one, really, that if you watch this game that jumps out at you in this 114-104 loss was, my goodness, at least through the first half and really three quarters, Rudy Gobert changed this game. He gives Anthony Davis fits and gives him trouble. And AD finished in just 20, you know, 21 minutes, his normal play, with just 16 points, five rebounds, three assists. He was minus 18 during his time on the court. A lot of that because Rudy Gobert kind of just eats his lunch. Gobert had 22 points on the night, 13 rebounds, and uh, four blocks as well in this one. He was 10 of 12 from the field. The guy is just a monster down low. There's a reason he's a former defensive player of the year and just takes up space. One of those blocks was basically just by keeping his arms out and blocked Drew Holiday on kind of a reverse layup at one point. And there's not much you can do when he essentially takes away the paint, even though the Pelicans managed to put up 54 down low, it really affects the Pelicans game. They shot very poorly in this game, particularly through the first three quarters. They shot 46 
6.1% from the field. A lot of that's because Gobert down low really takes things away from you. They're not a tremendous three-point shooting team, though they did shoot close to 38% from there on the night. But a lot of that was late in the game when they finally started to launch to kind of get themselves back in this one. Bear just impacted this one tremendously. But it's with those minutes with Anthony Davis where they were down 18 and the Pelicans in this one trailed by as many as 18. And then the second he was subbed out in the third quarter, his team went on a run. I believe it was 20 to 4, something along those lines. Managed to cut that 18-point deficit to 4 points and almost complete the comeback and kind of doing it as they've done the past two games, one against Utah, one against the Denver Nuggets with AD on the bench. Utah was a little bit more prepared for it in this one. They weren't able to complete that comeback, but man, this team with Davis off the court is so significantly better than they are otherwise that at this point, you know, you've got to wonder if you're trying to compete, you just got to bench him entirely. Again, he was a team uh, worst, almost second worst, minus 18 on the night and they go on that run when he's out sparked by a couple of guys particularly Julius Randle who struggled with Gobert early on and the defensive pressure that he was providing there but Julius Randle finished with 23 points on the night he had six rebounds three assists those rebounding numbers still low though this is a tougher matchup for him did have five turnovers a couple of those going right at Gobert and that's just not something anyone should do in this one. Drew Holiday struggled shooting. He's had some pretty decent shooting nights recently. He was 8 of 17 on the night with 47.1%. 0 for 4 from deep. That's going to hurt. Did finish with 16 points, 3 rebounds, 3 assists. Bit of a quiet game from him. Alfred Payton, 7 points, uh, 8 rebounds, just 3 assists. The Pelicans' ball movement was lacking. We're going to talk about this in the next segment because they're passing even with the less heralded guys, the lack of Anthony Davis and others, has kind of made up for that. They weren't able to get it going on the night. They finished with 17 assists. They had seven in the fourth quarter, just 10 through the first three quarters. You're not going to win many games when that's the case. So that lack of ball movement, part of it trying to kind of go at the rim and being forced into turnovers. The Pelicans finished with 17 on the night. They've been bad about ball security recently. Is not going to get it done in this one. If you can't create those assist opportunities to at least create some space for their not the best shooters or lack of offensive players when Anthony Davis is on the bench, it's going to be a bit of a slog and a struggle and play that ISO one-on-one style is not what this team is built to do even remotely. So they're close to their season low. They kind of picked it up in the fourth as they started passing the rock a little bit more, sharing it. But man, the 17 assists, 10 through the first three quarters is not how this team wins games. What is it, 25 assists and more, and they're very, very good? Not even remotely sniffing that one in this game last night, the loss to the Utah Jazz. Kenrich Williams also in the starting lineup on the night, finished with 12 points, six rebounds. His three-point shot has kind of faded. He had back-to-back air balls in this one, but he then just kept shooting, as good shooters do, and shooters need to do, even if they're not good, I guess. And he managed to go two for seven from deep. The bench mob kind of getting some more minutes out there, too. Check Diallo a little bit limited in this one. Again, bigs against Gobert is not an easy thing. He was held on an 0 for night, 0 for 2, didn't finish with any points, did have five rebounds in this one. Tuan Moore off the bench, six points, eh, whatever. You had Darius Miller come in and not provide much. I was talking to David Grubb before the game. We don't know if he's even going to be in the league or on the team next year. He finished with eight. Frank Jackson was a big highlight, though, in this game. 
he's now got a couple of games he was named during this stretch where he's hitting multiple three-pointers, and that's something that's big for the team. He got 28 minutes for uh, the team, the most off of the bench. He was 5 of 9 from the field, 3 of 4 from deep, 13 points on the night, 4 rebounds as well. And he did a really good job defensively, actually, if you watched him out there. He pressured Rubio at the right times, kind of hung off when uh, he shouldn't, and he held his own kind of tried to press the point of attack. You saw him playing point guard a little bit more than he has at times, I guess, depending on who he's out there with. But he is impressive in this one, and it shows that you see he really does have an NBA future at this point, and he's one of the few guys that's probably likely to be on the team next season. I think that's almost a lock. Jalil Okafor, who's been dealing with a right ankle injury, just five minutes in this one, immediately coming into the game, kind of hit the deck, seemed to be holding it. It was a bit of a rougher night for him. They know he, what he can give you. They don't need to kind of rush him back from injury, and now with AD taking up some of the minutes, it's just a little bit tougher. New Orleans just didn't control the game in this one, didn't play at their tempo, didn't do what they wanted. We said the lack of assists in it, but they also turned the ball over 17 times. That number has been extremely high over the past couple of games, and they've been able to mitigate that over real good stretches of play and forcing opponents to turn the ball over. They weren't able to get that kind of same pressure on the ball in the fourth quarter, though Utah finished with 20 in this one, but they just didn't play their style of game. 54 points in the paint for the Pelicans is good, but when you Utah comes in and scores 70, that's going to kind of do it. 18 points in the fast break for Utah. It's just not what New Orleans wants to allow whatsoever. It's going to lead to a loss. Derek Favors, 25 points on the night. Donovan Mitchell, bit limited, but still very good. 22 points with Drew Holiday all over him at times. You also saw Kenrich Williams take that assignment a little bit too. So good to see the rookie kind of rising to the occasion on the bigger, bigger assignments there. Ultimately, not enough to get it done. This is a good Utah Jazz team as well. And if you're hoping the Pelicans will tank, well then, this is kind of the best situation that you could hope for. They tried hard. They played well at times. Started to mount a comeback, but ultimately weren't able to get it done. Helps the lottery odds just a little bit. So before we travel back in time a little bit and take a look at that three-game winning streak the Pelicans had and why it happened, how they played so well and did this in spite of Anthony Davis and did it without him being out on the court, I've got to mention there's a lot going on around the NBA right now. Some discontent with the Warriors. You've got Houston playing exceedingly well right now. Boston has been up and down and just kind of a complete disaster and a bit of a mess if you've been hearing Kyrie Irving talk. No better way than to recap that all and know what's going on around the association than the Locked On NBA podcast. Monday through Friday, just giving you the biggest stories, everything you need to know to be a smarter basketball fan. So make sure you listen and subscribe. So let's go back in time a little bit. I want to take a look at the three-game winning streak the Pelicans went on. First, though, if you're curious about where they are in the standings, after this one, they are still sitting 12th in the Western Conference. They are eight games out of the eighth seed with, I think it's now 15 games left to go. Chances of getting into the playoffs exceedingly, exceedingly slim. They are not officially, mathematically, and all of that eliminated from playoff contention. The only team in the West that is, is Phoenix with 14 wins. The Pelicans now have 30, so they're a far ways away from that. Likely not getting into the playoffs, not really having a good enough record or worse enough record, I guess, depending on how you look at it, glass half full kind of thing, I guess, to get a top five pick, a top three pick, which is ideally what you want. They'll have some chance of it, but likely not going to happen. So given where they are, winning or losing doesn't really change things 
all that much. So whether they go on a three-game winning streak or they don't, eh, it's kind of all the same thing. So you know what? Maybe it's kind of fun to root for them to win. And they did that first with that 130-116 win over the Phoenix Suns, then on the second night of a back-to-back without Anthony Davis, coming back from an extreme amount down to beat Denver 120-112, and then two nights later on the road in Utah, a 115-112 win over the Utah Jazz. They go on a run when AD's on the bench. So what happened over that three-game winning streak that caused them to knock off two Western Conference playoff locks at this point. That's what we're going to take a look at here because they weren't particularly great in certain categories during this. And the first thing I want you to look at is the turnover number. They ranked 28th out of 30 in that. They were turning the ball over that three-game winning streak 18 times a game. 18 empty trips per game. You're not going to win very many if that's kind of what you're doing. But you know what? They were uncharacteristically hot from the field. They were shooting exceedingly well. Fourth best in the league in terms of field goal percentage. 51.3% from the field. But even more odd, and this goes back to last year where they had December and they were hot from three and the best three-point shooting team in the league during that time. Well, they had been over these past three games before the game Wednesday that they lost, shooting 48.1% from deep. They were doing that on 12.3 makes per game. So not a ton in terms of volume, but when you're getting that many open looks and you're converting them, Pelicans made the 13th most threes per game during that time. It can kind of change your fortune a little bit. And they were doing it through passing the ball. We talked about how the assist numbers were low in the loss to the Jazz last night, finishing with just 17, and that's not going to get it done. Again, 10 through the first three quarters. Well, over the three-game winning streak, this Pelicans team was averaging 28.7 assists. You're closer to 30 than you are to 15 right there. That's what's going to do it. Passing the ball, making that extra pass to find the open man, passing up a good shot or a bad shot for a great shot is certainly how you can do it. That assist number right there has a direct correlation to the shooting percentage from three from the field overall. And you got to wonder, where has this been? And I think sometimes it's really just a simple thing. And from talking with the coaches and hearing people say it, you know, there's no longer this dark cloud hanging over this Pelicans team. You know, Anthony Davis has already said he wants out. That, you know, that monkey, in a sense, is off of your back. You can just go out and play basketball and have fun and try hard, which a number of these guys are doing. But these runs they're going on when AD's not on the court because of this situation means you don't have that go-to score that, hey, we're down, we need a bucket, get the ball to AD and let him cook. You need to make extra passes right now because you have one go-to score in Drew Holiday. You have kind of a second go-to score in Julius Randle, but not nearly as much. You've got to share the ball more and create and manufacture better looks, better shots, because you're not going to win games otherwise. And this team, the players, they don't care about tanking. That is not on their mind. These guys are professional basketball players. They want to go out and they want to win and they want to compete. So they're going to pass the ball, and I think it's a, a direct thing you're seeing here. AD's not in there. You don't need to get him the ball at the elbow and let him cook from down low. Pass the ball, then pass it again, and get the open shot and share the rock all around, and you're starting to see it 
from this Pelicans team a little bit more than they would have otherwise if Anthony Davis was there. And then if AD goes cold during that stretch, you still got to feed him the ball because he's freaking Anthony Davis. And that leads to kind of a lot of these losses, a lot of them maybe being bad in clutch and crunch time, which I want to look at next week as well. But there's also been some standout defensive performances and defensive effort from this team during the stretch. I think part of it goes back to there's no more pressure. If they make a mistake, it's not like AD is going to want out and it's because they screwed up. It's already done. Just go out and play. And if you make mistakes, mistakes happen. But that means you can play with a little bit more effort. You can gamble a little bit more than maybe you could otherwise. And just kind of do your thing. And I think it's kind of having just that weight lifted off of their shoulders really helps. They're also giving a lot more minutes to these younger guys who are eager to prove themselves or just trying to stay in the NBA potentially. Look at Chick Diallo, for example. And I think that will get a very good performance and production from these guys as well they've got a lot to play for personally so you need to go out and do a whole lot then during the stretch defensively the team has actually significantly improved their defensive rating over this three-game winning streak they were on 107.3 that's eighth best in the league that is not where they've been all season long so it's a significant improvement kind of what they did also after the all-star break last year after the trade for Nikola Mirotic just maybe a little bit too late for the team so they've been the eighth best defense during this time and that's compared to being the 22nd best defense overall in the year it's about a five point difference per 100 possessions there good good improvement and that's without AD on the court for a lot of this and I think it really comes down to effort you've also seen Drew Holiday be an absolute freaking monster on the defensive side he had that basically game ceiling stretch against the Denver Nuggets where he forced the seal then kind of bounced the ball out of the clock at, at the end of the game and ended it right there he almost did the same thing a couple of times against the Utah Jazz on the road. You've seen it by now. I think Scott Kushner tweeted out, and it's unbelievable a couple of the possessions he had. Forcing a steal, keeping the ball in bounds, and then turning it into points on the other end. But in the final possession of the night, as Utah's trying to score, and they go to Donovan Mitchell, by the way, who's coming off a 40-plus point performance uh, a night or two before against the Milwaukee Bucks, who have one of the best defenses in the league, and he just stuck with him. Donovan Mitchell drives in, tries to pump fake, pump fake. Drew Holiday doesn't fall for any of it, stays on him. And by the time Donovan Mitchell chalks up a shot, basically his time expires. It's not a good look. It's a bit of a fallback fadeaway because Holiday didn't bite and there was no space for him. Holiday's been so outstanding, shutting down guys like Donovan Mitchell, guys like Devin Booker, um, Gary Harrison, others on the Denver Nuggets and Will Barton too, that... He has kind of kept this team in it. This is his team if he wants it to be. And I think as you've watched this, Holiday's getting a lot of credit around the league. He's not just being one of the best defensive guards, but one of the best just guards, period, two-way, if you want to call it that. But just pure guard, period, simple. And it's nice to see him kind of get this credit that he rightfully deserves. But man, his defensive performances and some of those steals you've seen, that seal games has been pretty impressive, and that's a big reason for it. I think he's realized this team needs a leader, needs someone to step up in the absence of Anthony Davis, and he's the guy who's rising to the occasion, which this may be sound, I don't want this to sound petty or be like, oh, whatever. Anthony Davis didn't do that this year. 
He's left you wanting more, always a little bit like, God, he's so good. You feel weird complaining about it, but he just missed it by a little bit. Like, give me a little bit more. You didn't get that feeling from him this year. You can't say the same thing about Drew Holiday, who's giving it every single night. And I think he was a big reason for that 3-0 stretch from the Pelicans. It may be playing some of their best basketball of the year. So before I catch you up on some quick news around the league, do want to mention again, the Locked On NBA podcast Monday through Friday. There are wild stories just throughout the league right now. We're going to touch on some of them coming up right here because I just want to catch you up on a few things. But it's better to do it with the experts on the Locked On NBA podcast. You guys know I'm on there every Wednesday, unless it's the day after Mardi Gras, covering everything you need to know around the association. So make sure you listen and subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast. All right, news around the NBA. I know a lot of people kind of go into tunnel vision during Mardi Gras, and then this Wednesday and Thursday, you kind of come out of that, and you're catching up on just what went on around the world, and you're like, oh my God, I missed so much. Going to be doubly so if you're a big NBA fan because you weren't paying attention to that, and there's other things that are more important, but there's some wild things. What includes goats pooping everywhere that went on around the NBA that are just too funny and things we've got to mention, including some stuff with the Lakers too. But yeah, let's start with the goats. Shitting. There's no other way of saying it. It's it's just that funny. Now, when you when you think of farm animals shitting, what team kind of comes to mind? Just a terribly run franchise, right? No worse run franchise than the Phoenix Suns, which is where this happened. And this is with their owner, who might be the worst owner in the NBA. I'm like laughing as I say this because it's just so damn silly. Who, while he had his GM... Ryan McDonough that he fired before the season started and hasn't actually replaced him and just has another guy kind of running the team right now who's made some really bad decisions. And then only recently, even though they have the worst record in the league, has said they're going to start scouting the <laughs> the for the draft and going to college games when it's like, are you... Are you kidding me? Should have been doing this earlier, which I guess sums this team up. So while he had his old GM, he had gone to, I don't know, some event and bought some goats or acquired some goats. Like, not greatest of all time, but like farm animal goats. Those really cute things that make weird noises and like to jump. And he put them in his GM's office in a symbolic method gesture, I don't even know, to say we need to find a goat, now greatest of all time, of our own. I don't know if Robert Sarver, the son's GM, doesn't realize that just wild animals aren't litter box trained or outdoor trained like a number of dogs are. So the goats that he put in his GM's office shit everywhere and made a damn mess. And this comes from an ESPN story from Kevin Arnovitz, who, by the way, has one of the best lines I think I've ever read in the history of writing, which is something like the goats oblivious to their metaphorical connotation shit everywhere. The goats who just didn't understand they were being used in a metaphor decided to poop all over the place. I, I, I don't even know what to say. You want to know what Robert Sarver did? Because he was felt so bad about this. He gave the GM a contract extension the next day because he put goats in the dude's office and they pooped. So he gave him a contract extension. And then that contract extension didn't mean anything because he fired the guy like six months later. But this is something that goes on in the NBA. And you can look at the Pelicans who, who did fail AD. And I think no one will disagree with that. Aren't at least... I don't know, that dysfunctional and that stupid and we don't have to talk about those weird type of stories happening here in New Orleans, which should make you feel a little bit better. I've done a podcast maybe two years ago when we were looking at like dysfunctional organizations in the NBA and do the Pelicans qualify. Until we have something like that, they are not considered a dysfunctional team. 
Another story I quickly want to touch on is Jeannie Buss, the owner of the Lakers, coming out and saying some just completely ignorant and stupid things is the only other way to say it. And she came out and talked uh, to the media saying that, you know, the media kind of has a bias against the Lakers, even though the media, if anything, is probably like in favor of the Lakers and gives the Lakers far more of a break than any other team would. If they were in New York doing some of the things the Lakers have been doing, they would be getting crushed. And they're not. And it's kind of weird. But so she comes out and says, you know, the media is kind of mean towards the Lakers. Look at all the stuff they had to do with all of their players feeling the effects of the trade deadline and being included in trade talks, which she called fake news, which is probably not the phrase you want to use when it comes to this sort of thing. And say that this wasn't the case. They were the ones leaking everything in the Lakers and AD trade talks. The Lakers were. So that stuff coming out, I don't know if Magic Johnson and Rob Palinka, the president of basketball operations and GM from there, didn't go to their owner and kind of brief her on the tactics they were using to try and get AD to the Lakers and to Los Angeles. But this isn't right. They were completely leaking this all themselves. And it made it kind of backfired in their faces and made them look worse than they actually were. And Sham Sharani of The Athletic talked about this, and he has a quote from a source with the Pelicans that is just basically like, what? The, this quote is, anytime we talk to them, the Lakers, about two minutes later, the details of the trade would leak because the Lakers were doing this to try and influence everything. So I don't know why their owner's coming out and saying all of this. And then finally, we didn't end up doing a whole segment on it. We probably could have and maybe will at some point. But AD went on the shop with LeBron James and, of course, Antonio Brown, a couple other people on there as well. And completely still shows he doesn't understand the consequences of his actions here. Went on there and basically was upset that people would boo him and then cheer him, saying people can't have it both ways. Which, one, they're paying fans. Fans can do almost whatever they want. They have a funny video of things before games you can't do. As long as they're not doing any of that, I think it's safe to say that, hey, your fans, your customers, you want to boo him, you want to cheer him, you want to do both. Go right on ahead. No one needs to tell you how you can act. It's a free country. It's America, after all, right? So I, it's weird that he comes out and says that, even though this is a guy who's trying to have it both ways, too. To get his trade request and to be traded to the team he wants and to do it in the time frame that he wants, which is now as opposed to later. And uh, I don't know. It's just kind of one of those weird things that he's chastising for others is kind of do as I say, not as I do kind of thing as well. And also, I don't think realizes that it's not necessarily the same fans that are cheering him and them or booing him, then cheering him. They're just different fans doing it. It's kind of weird. And he went on and basically, you know, it was like trying to kind of control the narrative of things saying, you know, when you do what people don't want, they kind of come after you. And I don't think that's what the case is here. He just kind of handled this situation poorly. I was talking to a couple people before the game in the media, and it was just saying that basically no one faults him for wanting out at all. Even now, everyone's like, yeah, you know, probably smart. Like this team didn't do right by him. They weren't able to put a winner by him when they had a generational talent here. It cost Del Demps his job. No one disagrees with him wanting to leave the team. They do disagree with kind of the way he did it and to the with the coup that he tried to pull on this team. So for him to go out there and say, well, you know, you can't have it both ways. This is a guy who's been trying to have it 
multiple ways, not just two, but three, four, five here, I think is still kind of not understanding kind of the situation he's put himself in, which he's a willful participant on. Again, when you go on this and you and he says the things he does and you watch this, he's not being kind of led astray by Clutch and they're the shadow puppet masters behind him pulling the strings. He's involved in all of this, knows all that he wants with it too. And is still going to just kind of do everything he can to control it, even though everyone, I think, kind of sees it and just realizes it was played poorly by him. So those are just some of the bigger stories out there in the NBA right now. I wanted to catch you up on some of that. The goats is just too funny. Like, come on. The metaphorical goats are not actually metaphors because they are still real animals, and then they do have bodily functions as well. So sons, my goodness. So that's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Pelicans. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. We'll be back tomorrow. I want to look at Drew Holiday and his play recently and how good he's been. We'll have some other things come up as well. Next week, we're going to focus on the front office too, building that out. What should the Pelicans be looking for? Maybe have a bit of an update on Danny Ferry potentially too from what I've been hearing there. So make sure you stay tuned for that. So as always, I'm your host, Jake Madison at NOLA Jake on Twitter. Thank you all for listening. I'll be back with you all tomorrow.